Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What is up on a Tuesday? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. Today, we have a little bit of a different interview, but an awesome one. Uh, my buddy, Andrew Stevens, who's the founder of a website called Sports Drink, formerly the Armchair All-Americans. On uh, Armchair is where I wrote the infamous uh, basketball shot heard around the world story. Known Andrew a long time, been a buddy since college. He's a resident Georgia fan. I had him on to talk about Sports Drink, who's moving into a new studio office in New Orleans and kind of the future of that company and the way he's built it up. But literally 60 seconds before I started recording, I get him on the Zoom. I can tell he's not at his house. He lives in New Orleans now. And I was like, dude, where are you? What are you doing? And then he just drops out of nowhere that he has been cast in season two of Showtime uh, Showtime series, Winning Time. So the HBO Showtime uh, series off the Jeff Perlman book, Winning Time, based on the 1980s Magic Johnson Showtime Lakers. I'm not kidding you. I'll, I won't ruin the story. I'll let you t- him tell you the story. But basically, he sent a joke email based off of, off of a Perlman tweet, has no acting experience, is not an actor at all. And then all of a sudden, next thing he knows, he's playing a major character in season two of this HBO production with major actors like John C. Riley and Jason Segal in it. I'm not kidding you. The story's awesome. We got into that, which kind of derailed us talking college football, but talk some college football at the end as he is a Georgia guy, uh, just what it's like being at the top, uh, college playoff expansion, <laughs> and some other stuff as well as sports drink and how he got all of that started. So the interview got off to a uh, quite the interesting start once he dropped that on me. I wanted to talk to him a little bit about it off air, and I was like, actually, I'm just going to hit the record button and have my mind blown in front of uh, the listener. So uh, interesting interview. I think you'll enjoy it. Buckle up. Before we get to that, though, I want to remind you the podcast is brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. So the world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. You know the drill. Skybox, I told you guys on the ad reads the last month that Skybox absolutely rakes it in in college basketball, and the proof is in the pudding. Last Thursday through Sunday on Skybox's college basketball plays, they went 39-16 and 16 and we're up 57 and a half units. Yes, you read that fine print correctly. So maybe you just paid the bookie on Monday. You're kicking yourself because you didn't use Skybox. How would you like to have been up 57 and a half units and had some nice Christmas, uh, extra Christmas shopping money for the for you? You need to go online, skyboxsportspicks.com. Use, uh, use the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E. That'll get you 20% off any purchase. Pick any picks package you want. Got bowl season coming up. College basketball is off and running. NASCAR has been absolutely crushing it. Whatever you want, you can try it for a day, a week, a month, whatever. I'd recommend just going with the year-long all-sports pass. You sign up. They send you the picks in a nice little cutter-coded email based off units, and boom, you're equipped to now go 39 and 16 and up 57 units in a four-day span. Skybox Sports Picks is the best in the business. You need to check them out right now for all of your sports handicapping needs. It's the only way to profit in the long run. Podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. Go see Greg if you're a Rippy Right subscriber. You get a newsletter from me a couple of times a week and discounted meats. It's changed. The new uh, Rippy Right special is three 16 ounce, or excuse me, three six ounce fillets, the Lane Train specials, for 20 bucks. That's about a $38, $40 value there, and you're getting it for 20 bucks. Just go in there, show Greg proof of subscription. He'll get you hooked up. Then go find all your own favorites. Oxford is so lucky to have a place like LB's. It is the people's butcher shop. 
It is absolutely delicious. I love the tri-tips. They have all kinds of delicious sausages, seafood. If you're into grilling, you need to stop by LB's. It is a bucket list destination. Check them out. LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right, uh, real quick before we get to Andrew Stevens, I'd probably be remiss if I uh, didn't offer a couple words on the passing of Mississippi State head coach Mike Leach. As uh, we recorded this interview on a Monday night, so we didn't talk about it, Andrew and I. Uh, but as I'm putting this podcast up on Tuesday, I um, obviously got the news that Mike Leach has passed away at 61 years old, um, which is just incredibly sad and incredibly unfair. Um, he was really one of the most unique characters in all the sports and not just college football. And you know, the state of Mississippi, the college football world as a whole, uh, is better for having Mike Leach inhabit it. Um, I remember when I was spending my final couple of months as a reporter full time in the state, Lane Ole Miss had just hired Lane Kiffin. And Mississippi State had just hired Mike Leach. And you're coming off a couple-year lull, kind of the aftershocks of the freeze-mullen um, height of that rivalry. Joe Moorhead wasn't particularly interesting. Matt Luke wasn't particularly interesting. And I just remember being happy um, and a little bit jealous of my Mississippi State colleagues for getting to cover Mike Leach. I thought uh, Lane Kiffin would be exciting, even though he's not the greatest soundbite. But I just thought, wow, this is going to be relevant again. Mississippi football in general, college football in Mississippi is going to help be a hell of a lot more fun and uh, it has certainly turned out to be this that way in a lot of different ways. And it's a tribute to both Lane Kiffin, but most certainly Mike Leach as well. Um, just one of the true characters in college football. And in a world of, I won't say frauds, but in a, an industry where guys are, you know, kind of robotic, they're brands. They don't want to say anything that's going to hurt their own brand or say anything that's going to make headlines and really comes off as not genuine more times than not, at least in the public setting when, uh, you know, reporters and media types and fans and all that get to see them. And Mike Leach was really the antithesis of that. He was uh, genuine in every way. Uh, I remember kind of the first early days of Mike Leach and his, or I say early days that I remember him kind of his later years at Texas tech and his early days at Washington state thinking, Oh, this guy's kind of quirky. Like, I guess that's his shtick. But the more and more I listened to the guy and the more and more I st heard stories I heard about people who covered him and kind of the impact he made on people around him, it was very clear that it wasn't a stick at all. He was just genuinely one of the most curious people you'll ever come across on this planet. Forget football coaches. He's unique in his own right, right? Went to law school, um, has a law degree, never played football. Just a very interesting guy who really was a trailblazer in the sport. Um, but was just a, above all else, a genuine and curious person who had a lot of thoughts on a lot of different things. And he was very interesting to listen to. I don't have a Mike Leach story like a lot of my colleagues are sharing because I didn't know nor cover the guy. But watching from afar, um, it was really a breath of fresh air in a largely monotonous college football world to have a guy like Mike Leach, who was really just unapologetically himself um, at all times. And I think that takes some courage. Um, to be a little different in this world, particularly in a high profile position and being in the constant spotlight as he is just to be different. He had his system. He had the way he wanted to do things and he acted the way he was, which was funny, curious, genuine, and seemingly a caring guy. He wasn't, you know, the easiest guy to play for at times, but he did it his way. And uh, man, he made a large impact on people. And it's, it's really just a damn shame that, at 61 years old, we didn't get more of Mike Leach, and it just kind of teaches you to cherish um, the people that make you think, the people that entertain you in your life while you have them, um, because you just never really know when that is that time with them is going to end, whether you know them super well or you're just entertained by them from afar. And I was certainly falling in the camp of being entertained by Mike Leach and respected everything he did from afar. 
Um, it's just really an unimaginable tragedy and it's super unfair and just a reminder that the world can be cruel, but, uh, you know, be as curious as Mike Leach. I always have a respect for people who are genuinely curious. I've tried to implement some of that in my writing and being actually curious about stories and going, finding the nitty ditty, the nitty gritty details, um, and things, because I think that gets lost in this constant content machine that we're all caught up in. And, you know, I wouldn't be, it wouldn't be fair to say I was inspired by Mike Leach per se, but the way he was curious about the world and the thoughts that he had on the world from pirates to, I think he wrote a book on Geronimo, um, to just anything in general, all the stories you hear, um, I'd encourage you to be as curious about anything that you're passionate about as Mike Leach, because, uh, it'll definitely be fulfilling to you and you'll make the world a better place uh, while you're doing it as he did. So rest in peace to coach Mike Leach. It's a damn shame. We don't get more time with him in our lives in the college football world. It's just a little bit worse off without him and was certainly better off for having him. So uh, I know a lot of people out there hurting today, but just want to give some quick thoughts on Mike Leach, even though I probably didn't say anything that hasn't already been said. All right, here is Andrew Stevens. Oh, and a quick disclosure warning on that. Uh, Andrew likes to let it rip. <laughs> he is uh, he's a unique personality. I don't really mind people swearing on the pod. I probably do it a little too much, but certainly when I have an interesting guest like Andrew, I just let him roll. But uh, just a disclaimer, there are some swear words in here. Uh, so if you're listening with young kids or that bothers you, that this might not be your thing, but I promise you it's a hell of an entertaining interview. But just wanted to give that little disclosure because I do get angry DMs from people from time to time. All right, here's Andrew Stevens on, well, we thought sports drink, but how in the world he became a Hollywood actor with zero acting experience and some other stuff. I think you'll enjoy it. All right, we now welcome on good friend of the pod, Andrew Stevens, founder of what used to be the Armchair All-Americans, now it's sports drink. Um, I don't even really know where to start with this. So you came on a po uh, the pod when I first started. That was back when I was in Super Talk. So we probably don't have much of an overlap of an audience. Totally different one now. I reached out to you because we keep a pretty decent touch. We talk football, whatever the case may be. Your website, Sports Drink now, is getting into its like new studio. But then you hopped on the Zoom and everything just went to shit because we can't lead with that. That's just not possible at this point. I guess before we get into that, how are you? Uh, you're budding actor, which we'll get into in a second. What's been happening in your life? Nothing much. Here's the thing. it's Things have been going uh, outside of personally. Uh, the Georgia Bulldogs are number one in the country. The New Orleans Pelicans are the number one in the Western Conference. The New Orleans Saints don't exist to me. And so um, as of in terms of the things that that normally um, have us tick over here going very, very well. Um, but on the on the personal front, some uh, would not have anticipated being where we are um, close to six months ago, maybe close to six weeks or even six days ago. So I'll, uh, I'll, I don't want to jump on your show or, or Bogart your time, but uh, I'll, I'll let you let you ask the questions here. Oh, we're about to dive right down into it. So <laughs> for backstory here, Andrew and I became friends in college. You were starting up the Armchair All-Americans, which was uh, kind of at the height of sports blogs. You started it. It started kind of an SEC footprint, needed an Ole Miss writer. I honestly, I can't remember even how we actually got in touch. I want to say it was through like Sam Shellhaus or maybe that kid, mm -hmm. uh, Nick, the, that was yeah 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 nick russell yeah i think that is but some some lines ended up i mean i figure all uh all former former catholic school or private school fucking sec kids end up looping around at some point 
Yes, exactly. So it all just runs together. So I start writing for armchairs and up and coming whippersnapper who thinks they're going to be the next like Wright Thompson or whatever. We start churning out blogs. I kind of go, I uh, have some different like opportunities and things kind of grow as I figured out I'm not completely terrible at this writing thing. We stick with it and then uh, armchair pivots more to audio and morphs into that. We'll get into that piece of it in a second. But again, I keep bearing the lead here. We haven't, we, we communicate over text. We do the podcast um, banjo off and on during football season. But then all of a sudden you hit me with this. You're in Los Angeles. I'll let you steer it however you want to, because I know there's certain things you can and cannot divulge. I learned about this literally 90 seconds ago. What are you doing in Los Angeles? Yeah. So um, I have been, um, I, I guess I'll, I guess I'll to, to, to not completely divulge my own hand um, and get myself in trouble and have me, have me in some sort of producers meeting at HBO. Um, but I have been cast as a basketball player in season two of winning time on HBO. And so you will, here's the thing. This is, this is where we get people. This is how you, 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 turn into long-term listeners or long-term watchers of the show, you're just going to have to find out on premium cable this spring, what character I am playing, but it is a former NBA player that if you watch any of the NBA, you will be very familiar with. And so I, I will be, um, I have no acting experience. I've never acted before. Um, there was a casting call put out by the writer. So the, the, the show is winning time. It's the rise of the Lakers dynasty. Season one was basically their entire in-depth of Jerry Buss, who is played by John C. Riley, And they get into uh, his relationship with Magic Johnson, Magic Johnson and Larry Bird's rookie seasons. And essentially how like the beginning of the 80s sort of like set the footprint for how big the NBA is right now. Because it was like the Lakers were a little bit of a floundering team as the show shows and the, the NBA in general, like, second to baseball, second to football, hockey was still around. I mean, there were a lot of things that were more popular than, than the NBA, but I don't have any acting experience. The The author of the book, Jeff Perlman, he put out a casting call on Twitter that was like, if you're over 6'2 and have basketball experience, then um, sort of send your, send your name or, or whatever. I guess, I guess they want acting resumes. I don't know. I don't have an acting resume, but I sent kind of a joke of an email. And then the casting director, uh, she hit me back up and was like, we actually want you to read for this part. Um, I sent in a two minute scene. I got a callback audition and then they gave me a call and they were like, you actually got the part. And so they put me on a plane to LA uh, like two days after that. And I've been here staying with a good friend for the last two weeks, just invading his home, uh, eating his, eating his food, um, petting his, no, he doesn't have a cat, but petting his girlfriend's cat. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been a whole thing. That is absolutely bananas. I'm not even sure I would have asked you to come on if I didn't know you'd have had all of this going on. We're here to like, I was like, you know, we'll talk some football plug sports drink. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, by the way, I'm now a Hollywood actor. And I was like, whoa. So you you mentioned you 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 sent Jeff Perlman like a response is kind of a joke of an email. I have minor experience with this, definitely nothing to this degree. But when you sent the email where you just like, ha ha, this is kind of funny, like, oh, well, I'm going to go on about my day. Like, it, like, take me to the contrast of you sending the email versus someone actually hitting you back because there is that, like, moment of, like, what the hell is happening when you get the email in your inbox and you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, what? Take me through that. That was that was the most absurd one. I was sitting at a coffee shop. So I can actually – I can read – 
I can read the email out because the email is so nonsensical that it's almost like I, the, the, like like it, it doesn't give away anything about my character or the role or anything. Um, but it it bas- it says hello, my name is I, the 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 subject line. The show is about Jerry Buss, who is played by John C. Riley. He is the main character of the show. I my tagline was I'm applying to be the general manager of the Los Angeles Lakers. Not a very not a a a uh, a very serious uh, email. Very very joke. Hello, my name is Andrew Stevens, and I think I would be perfect to play X or X in your upcoming motion picture, Winning Time. I'm an avid basketball fan, and I have the hardware to prove it. Please see my ro- robust resume below. Two-time University of Georgia intramural champion, B-League. One-time New Orleans Jewish Community Center champion, Summer League, Uptown location. I stand six feet, eight inches and have a 24-inch vertical, allowing me to barely dunk a standard professional basketball. I played uh, 1.5 years of high school basketball and will be in Los Angeles for work for the next few months. Here are pictures of my love displaying or, or displaying my love for basketball and proof that I'm a trustworthy worthy colleague. I look forward to becoming the next general manager of the Los Angeles Lakers. I absolutely love <laughs> that. Just like I have the role what's next, which is just the <laughs> blind confidence completely unwarranted is absolutely the way to approach things in such situations. I don't actually remember the first time we met. I think it was a college trip. I went over to Athens to see what that glorious city was about. We met. Uh-huh. I was like, Jesus, this guy's tall. So 6'8", you said the qualifications were you needed to be 6'2", and have basketball experience. I obviously qualify as both, so I missed my oh. opportunity there. Um, I mean, Rippy, Rippy, you just forward that article. I mean, speaking of the old armchair days, you forward that article through, and you might, you might be a shoe-in for season three. I was about to get to that. Like the, you know, the, for those people that might not know, the basketball story, the famous shot heard around the world, is published on Armchair All Americans, which is now SportsStrength.com. We were in college. I literally wrote that. I think Portner was waiting on me. We were going out, and I was like, "Give me like forty-five minutes. We're just gonna hash this out on paper." I grabbed like three cores lights and was like, "Let's make some magic." And I sent it to you. At that time, I wouldn't say we had editorial standards by any stretch of the imagination. So you were like, "Let's put this on." And sure enough, seven years later, it's the only story I recycle, and it just turned into what it was, just an absolute phenomenon. So I have to credit you in most part for that being a thing. It was a ba- it was a banger. I mean, it got like it got tens of thousands of views. I mean, I think it I think it's fifty, sixty thousand views. Like people have read that thing. It, it's it's unbelievable because at the time I took myself way too seriously, and I was like, I'm going to make it in this industry. I had done all this work, written all these things, and then the one thing I wrote on a Word doc with like three cords lights and like 45 minutes turns into the most red thing I'd ever written at the time. And maybe still to this day is just like, I don't know if this is an indictment or I should just approach this every time, but just absolutely bonkers. So before we get to like the sports and the arm drink side of it, or sports drink side of it, I got to ask like, so if you started whatever you can divulge, if you started the filming process, like what is it actually like being around, you know, like professional actors? Like is there a moment where you're like, yeah. holy shit, like this is, this is real. Yeah, it's been nice from the sense of like, you know, like you kind of know that the adage where it's like the more you know, the more you realize how little you know, like there is a there's a nice aspect of it that's like my only I I put this to somebody the other day. I have not had a day of acting in my life where Adrian Brody has not been present on set. Okay, but because that has been he all of the scenes that I have filmed, he has also been there. And so it's like I have only I've probably done five days now 
And it's like, there's like a thousand people there. It's like a whole like gym feel. Like it is, it's pretty ridiculous. Like it is, it is as logistical of an opera, like, like more than any of the basketball things, the logistical operation of it is incredible. Like it's, it is like, they know every shot, they know every camera placement, they know who's going to be in the scene. They have production coordinators doing everything. And so from that, more than that, it's just like, I could stand here for fucking 36 straight hours, just seeing how y'all coordinate this stuff. And so like, I mean, there's, I, I don't really know how much I'm supposed to say, how much I'm not. The, the, the thing is, it's like, well, don't hire a non-actor. I don't know. Uh, but, but also it's like, the, the, I think the big thing is they don't want pictures from set. And I think that that's the thing that yeah. they're, they're sort of drilled down on. I mean, this is the second season of the show. And so it's not like, it's not crazy as to where sort of where everything is leading after 1980. Um, but no, like I, I, like I got there, like I have a trailer, like I have a trailer with like an like entire, yours? like, like my, I mean, like, so they're, there are there are like probably 10 trailers on set and it's like one for Adrian Brody, one for John C. Riley, and then like eight like double trailers for all the actors. So like Magic and Larry Bird are in one. Some uh, like there are other people who have been like like a couple of the Laker other Lakers players share one and stuff like that. And so it's like, yeah, I am I me and one other guy have like like I have a fucking full ass like couch that I could sleep on like bed type thing and like a bathroom and like a desk and a big screen TV. And like, it's insane. Like you could, you literally could live in there. Yeah. You need to see if you can take that home. Like is the trailer for yeah. keepers? Is it Andrew Stevens trailer yes, that will be going back to new Orleans may live out of it, may take it around yes. the country. Who the hell yeah. knows? You need to get the fine print in your contract with your lawyer there to see if that trailer's yeah. actually yours after the fact. So you mentioned the production aspect of it. Obviously, there's very limited that you can get into. But one of the t- Twitter clips uh, that went viral in season one was them filming a basketball scene where they have the camera guys on roller skates. And they're like, wow, mm-hmm. look at this yeah, and how yeah, awesome yeah. it is. Like, is that, it's, it's that real of a deal? Like, is that kind of mind-blowing to you? Like, wow, the things they oh, yeah. do. Because I, I, yeah. I'm not a movie buff, but I, I go to movies now and think like, my God, how did they actually film this? Did you have that kind of reaction when you saw how this actually works? I'm the same way. I'm like, a, I'm a movie dumb guy and that it's like, I like being like, I, I, the, the, I, I hadn't really appreciated cinematography before. Like I, yeah, the, I'm not on Rotten movies. Tomatoes. I just like to be entertained. Exactly. And there's certain things like I just finished watching White Lotus where it's like I appreciate where it's like this is a very, very calculated show in terms of like it's very, very slow paced. But in order for it to be slow paced, like the like the music and people's dialogue and the filming and the way it's positioned, like it all has to be very, very calculated. So it doesn't just look like four idiots standing at the beach. Like I, I recognize that. And so but like what I'm starting to see from this is like, oh, shit, this is like. Like they, the, the guy on the roller skates, like he's there most days. And it's like, this is a guy with like probably strapped with $50,000 worth of camera equipment, just fucking zipping and zooming around there. Like getting all, I think he won an Emmy for cinematography last year. Like, because it was something that it was something that was not like regularly done in things. But I mean, he's zooming in and out of players and like, I mean, it's like they've they've built out, like they showed on, on a lot of those behind the scenes things. Like they've built out an entire gym. Like they've built like, like there are more people in this place than I've ever played in front of in a high school basketball game. Like, cause they have extras and they have scenes and like, it would be like, like imagine going into your high school gym completely filled. Like that's what it, it, like, that's what the shooting that's, I mean, they have like, it's at Warner brothers studios. And so it's like, there's a bunch of different shooting sets and stuff. Um, And then it's like, 
the, the gym is in one and this scene is in one and this thing for this person, like th- th- this, uh, like, uh, this thing with John C. Riley is here and this thing with magic is here. But yeah, like the thing that they've used a lot of the basketball players for is like the, the big ass fucking seat, like, like gym scene, basically. That is unbelievable. So obviously without divulging the character's name, when you said it, I was like, Oh, I actually could see this clearly <laughs> as a 27, 28 year old man. Um, it probably takes some makeup. What is the makeup process like when you go shoot a scene? Are they dousing you up? How long does that take? Because, you know, makeup artists and stuff make a bajillion dollars and rightfully so for making people look the way they are in like a character. Do you do makeup? How does that work? Well, I was trying to advise them against it, but they have me in blackface every single day. It's not, uh, they they have, I am playing Robert Parrish. No, no, um, but no, they, they, <laughs> They have um, it, there. There's no face makeup. Like some people have to wear wigs and stuff. But for me, I have tattoos and like on my arms and stuff. And so the only real makeup is like tattoo cover up stuff. And so like they have to put like a certain makeup that matches your skin tone over all of your tattoos. But like for my face and stuff, they don't have they don't have anything. They like my hair was long enough that they were able to hack it. It looks fucking awful right now. But they were able to hack it in the right way that like I don't have to wear a wig or anything. But like. When you're in there, they then like coat you up in like glycerin and stuff. And so like you're like, I'm I'm um like like to make it like emulate like you're sweating. And so before you shoot any scene, they have to like lather you up and like mist your face and stuff like that to like make it emulate like you're have just played a big NBA basketball game. Your character, you mentioned no acting experience and all that. It's a little bit different because it's in like a basketball scene, but obviously. Like I watched a documentary the other night, or not documentary on like George Jung, this drug smuggler that Johnny Depp played in the movie. Yeah, Whoa. yeah, yeah. He visited yeah. him in prison like a a bunch of times. Tried to get like his uh his vernacular, the way he talked, and all of that, and really got it down to like I mean it, it's an art for a reason, right? Johnny Depp mm-hmm. is Johnny Depp for a reason. Are you having to do any of that? Your character is very public. There's endless gobs of I'm sure YouTube footage and all that. Are you having to study who you're playing at all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's definitely, I, I don't know, like, just because my, I mean, it's not, it's like, it is a big show and a, like a a, a a speaking role on the show, but I'm still not given like, like, they're not giving my level of actor like, oh, here's the whole script for the show. And so it's sort of kind of like a day by day process. And so like, I've had to kind of get in. So I don't really have lines that I know that I'm going to have to say in this person's voice. It's sort of just like I'm having to study and practice just like repeating what they're saying because I don't have because the the script changes all the time too. And so like they're like, oh, we're cutting this thing or we're adding this thing or this thing took a little bit too long. So we're getting rid of that or we're adding this. And so I I don't know how many like I've only had a couple of like speaking lines up to this point, but it hasn't been a lot of them have been like in games and so it's huffing and puffing. So the accents don't necessarily like come or the dialects don't come out as much, but like if they actually have me do two, three, four minute scene or something where I'm having to go back and forth with somebody, I'm, I'm interested to just see how much of like the actual like dialect that I'm able to get down. All right. One of the last things I have on this is like the extras and you mentioned all of that. Obviously you guys are playing in crowded gyms, right? 1980s Lakers kind mm-hmm. of a big deal. What's the deal with like the crowd? How do they, I guess, no fake. It's the right word. How do they do that? Do you have people in the stands yelling and screaming? Like how do they actually set the scene? Is it a full gym? Do they focus on areas where the screen is like, what is that like? 
Yeah, it's probably like half, it's probably like 60% full. So if they're like filming behind the basket and on the sideline, they're going to have them all there because they, they have to pay every person that's going to be there. And so it's like you don't want to have if you could have 60% of the gym full and then you could just move them to the other side when they're doing a different shot, do that as opposed to having an entire gym filled with people that you're having to pay for every hour that they're yeah. there. Um, and so, yeah, no, no, it's a lot like sometimes they have to like mime like the different like scenes that they're doing and mimic it. But other times they are um, like other times it's like, no, they're actually like screaming in there like they would be in a basketball game. Like it, they, they do an extremely good job. And it's, it's, it, they, they showed it on the uh, like the first season documentary of like, Oh shit. Like they're actually like screaming and making legit noise in here. Like when they're, when they're chanting, like go LA or whatever, or, like go Lakers. It's like, it, it sounds legit. So obviously like the main character, whoever Magic Johnson is and all of that, they're uh, probably high, like very serious actors. What is it like rubbing shoulders with people that are full on Hollywood actors that have done this for years? Are they, um, do they pretend you're not there? Are they pretty like, um, I'd say receptive to like you being around? Like, what is it actually like rubbing shoulders? I guess you say actors, but directors, whatever actual Hollywood people who do this for a living. What is that like? I mean, everyone, like the, the thing that I've had to like get into my mindset of is like, okay, everyone else here is a professional here to do this. You just have to like fake it and act like you, like, I can't be like, what do I do? Where do I go? I just have to be like, oh yes, I know this is obviously like, this is my life. This is what I've always meant to do. And I know what to do. And so it's like, there is an aspect of like faking it, but it's like, there's so many people on set all the time that like, everyone is kind of like you obviously take direction from the directors and the assistant directors and everything. But like they ask input on a lot of these scenes, they were like, okay, so you came in from here. And since they're like having to mirror so many shots and layer so many shots, uh, uh, like from different angles and stuff, like they want like input from some of the actors and some from some of their assistants. And like, it's, it's very, very like, it's a cool collaborative process in the way of like, okay, did you think that that shot looked good? Okay. Sounds good. We all think that was good. Moving on to the next one. Like obviously the, the direct, like they have directors for different, like each different episode since each episode is like such a production um, that like they have the final say on each one of these things, but it's also like, it, it it's cool to see how collaborative of like a creative process this is from a lot of these people, because they're all like, we're here to get the best fucking result that we can. Like, what do we have to do to get that result? What is the work schedule like? Like, I'm assuming they're paying you. Uh, maybe I'll see mm-hmm. you at the Oscars or the Golden Globes or whatever all those things are here soon. What is like your work schedule? Like, is it a Monday through Friday thing? They take weekends off. Like, what is the shooting schedule? What's your work day like? Just take me through your day as X character in this deal. Yeah, it's it's most it's most days. Um, and so like the union is like really, really good for like, there's a union production, like SAG after or something. Okay. Again, I got to get an agent. I got to get all the terminology for all this shit down. Um, you know, an agent, by the way, you slept on his couch a couple of times. I did. I was about to say how, how much he's pretty versed in entertainment law. It seems like now. So I might have to, uh, might have to shoot him a text. So anyway, sorry, I derailed you. So you're just, it's most every day. What you talking eight hour days, 10 hour days. Cause I know it gets yeah. to a point where like, Hey, we have to get this done type of thing. Like we'll be here till it's done. Like what is your average day? Like when you, now your text message, when we were talking over today, I don't uh-huh. know my shooting days until they tell me the day before I was like, Oh yeah. And yeah. this must be a promo for sports drink. That's pretty tight. And then you drop this on me. Now it's all coming together. The wheels are turning, <laughs> the hamster wheels going. Now this makes sense. 
What is that like? What What are you working like daily basis? Does it just depend. What's that like? Yeah, it's like I mean, it is very like my buddy Jamel. His he's uh, he's a comedian, writer, sort of producer out in this world, and he's just like that's Hollywood, baby. Anytime something crazy comes up, just because it's like so. People actually have, say that that's not in the movies. I mean, I mean, very like tongue in cheek. Yes. In, in the way, in the way of like, like you'll be shooting until 11 o'clock that like that night. And then because you're shooting until 11 o'clock, they don't know, like you, like, let's say you have seven scenes to film. So they will film as many as they can in that day. But then if they have one that rolls over to the next day, that then messes the next day schedule up. And so like from their perspective, they can't. And if it messes the next day schedule up, that means like, well, there might be an actor who was in scene six of the next day that is then bumped to the day after that. And so then they have to coordinate all of like the production assistance and making sure the right actors are on set that day. And so like back to the, the logistical nightmare of the thing, it's like, rehearsal days are shorter so you're like from what i've had it's like three or four like i gotta go to a rehearsal tonight for like two or three hours um and i haven't done anything today but it's like we've also had shooting days that are like 14 hour days and so it's like when you're actually shooting they have everyone there they're bringing in a bunch of extras so they're getting they're trying to do it in as little days as possible and then so uh, up to this point it's been like probably 50 60 hours a week but it's been like three big time shooting days to one or two like rehearsal, like kind of do nothing days. But then up to this point, no weekend stuff either. So you're going to go work after this podcast. You're technically on the clock right now or going to be. Yeah. 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 So I'm, yeah, I have, I have like a, like a basketball thing after this, um, which is weird because like, I like, I'll do an entire shooting day of this and then I'll have a day off and be like, Oh my God, thank God. And they'd be like, Oh fuck, I have another, like, I have a different job that I have to do right now. Yeah. And so, like, it's been a lot of fun, but there has been, like, I've had to kick myself of, like, Andrew, you have other work that you have to, like, go and actually attend to. You can't just take, like, a three-week break from this. So, last thing on this, and I asked this somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but somewhat seriously, too, is, like, now that all this has happened, I mean, you're in a role that I imagine some other people that don't have acting experience would, like, kind of kill to be in, right? That kind of screen time, that kind of connections, really just talking with those people, if you like, are you considering like, oh man, we might could do another one of these things and just see where it goes? Like, how, like, what is your mindset on this whole thing? You know, X weeks removed from just sending a joke email. Yeah. I mean, like I'm, I'm kind of at the point where it's like, just fucking see what happens. I mean, it's like the, 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 I mean, you know, this well, trying to carve out a, a, a reliably paying uh, media niche is Not very, right. very, di- yeah, very, very difficult. And so when someone's like, hey, we will pay you uh, like very solid daily rates to come here and shoot stuff. It's like, well, you know what, maybe I can fly out somewhere for a couple of weeks out of the year to to like sort of make some bills work and stuff. And so like if they have a season three of the show obviously would be very, very interested to do that. And like, if there are other, like I've been talking to some of the guys on set and it's like, sometimes you just need tall people to be in things. And so it's like, if I could be a very, very like minorly employed tall guy actor, I mean, there are worse ways to make money from, from what I found out up to this point. When the Pels win the title this year in 10 years in the documentary or the HBO show, you could just be X. They don't have a white guy on the team. That's Valachunas. Could you shave your head? I think I might be able to do Valanchunas. I'm trying to think. Yeah, we we are lacking. We're lacking in whites, which is probably why we're so good this year. I could do, yeah, Billy Hernan Gomez, maybe. No, he's Spanish. 
Yeah, I guess I would have to be able to. I would have to do Valanchunas, but he's got a beastly beard. I just i I don't know if I could do that. When they need a Jose Alvarado, like I could, I could make that work. I don't know if that would be problematic <laughs> at the current times. But just throw in a good word for me. I got to ask. Very last last thing. I met your lovely parents one year when we I went and stayed down in Baton Rouge for that Ole Miss LSU baseball series. They're oh pretty laid back yeah. people, but I got to imagine when you were like, "Hey, I'm going to be in this." What, what was your parents' reaction to that? They were like, <laughs> what, "What? Should we start drug texting this kid?" Like, what? 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 They think you were serious? Yeah, the- they, I mean, they, they always like, I mean, I am uh, one, one of some of the only things I'm good at is bullshitting and hanging out. And so I think that um, they were like, wow, he managed to turn that into a career. And I, I think it was more just like, like approval, but just like shaking their heads of like, you dumb motherfucker. Like, I, I mean, I, the, there probably has some jealousy on the uh, family front. Joe's tall too. He's like, why didn't I get this? I know. I I was about to say we got to get maybe we have like a maybe we get a deal cut if we have like a family agency, like, like we that. can start filling yeah we can start filling in for one another and whatnot we could it just just book one of the three of us we could book our own basketball themes. The uh, Stevens family rep by uh, Michael Portner and Delta Sports Group. I can already see it already. Put it on a uh, billboard. Put it so, on the, yeah, put put the letterhead up. The real reason I had you on the podcast for you just dropped this bomb on me was to kind of talk about sports drink a little bit. So we talked about the armchair all Americans thing. It was something you started in college. You were kind of like me where you were actually working for the scout.com site. If I'm not mistaken, towards the end of school where that one very night when Georgia played on this in 2016 and like, you didn't really know what you wanted to do. And I was kind of the same way. I mean, I know I kind of want to do the media thing and now I'm sitting here working a marketing grind, doing this on the side. Funny how that works out. I feel like when you go into media, like you don't actually know what you want to do because you're like, Oh, I'm probably not going to be 50 doing this. There's just no way that's going to work out. All all the people that know, all the people that know they're going into media have parents in media. And so it's like, they've, they've had, they, they know the blueprint of what you have to do and who you have to talk to at age 16. You and I were like looking up from a, I don't know if I'm allowed to say bong on this podcast at, uh, at, uh, at, at age 22. And we were like, well, I guess this is the only thing that I have legitimate experience in. Let's try to make some fucking money off of it. I mean, that could be on my resume to a T you're exactly right on that one. So you start up this site. And I start, we start writing for it and then it becomes like a college blog and it's taken off. Like we, the amount of people I think was one of the most impressive things early on that you got as writers, right. As that was kind of the mm-hmm. height of the blog thing. And shockingly enough, the, the, the uh, media thing has changed. Um, you know, I mean, that's just an ever changing deal, right? You guys go to audio. Oh, yeah. It starts out as mostly a writing thing. And at what point, I mean, we've talked about this before, but just to kind of educate the audience, at what point were you like, okay, maybe I could actually do this and make income off of it and, you know, not have to have some corporate sales job I hate while I'm building this up? Because, I mean, we talk about our buddy Portner until five months ago and he signed Orlando Brown, he's working a sales job that's remote and then Mm -hmm. building it up on the side. You never know when it's going to happen until, whoa, it happens. What was that kind of whoa moment for you? We can actually do this. Yeah. So, I mean, I was, I was the same way. I was working as the athletic director at like a, a, a school in Baton Rouge. Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, I was working as like real of a job as you could. Now it, it, it was, I was able to sort of come and go as I please and I had my own office there. And so like, I was able to still do this concurrently. Um, but we, we had a sales firm that we ended up doing a deal with back in 2019 and they were, they were basically acting as our sales arm. I was sort of the recruiting and and figuring out like, all right, this is the branding element. This is all of the shows that are going to sort of be on the network and whatnot. And then, 
um, they came to us and they're like, hey, we have a couple of sponsors that are actually like interested in getting behind the show. And I hadn't realized like, oh, shit, we have actually brought together at that point, probably like 40 or 50 shows. There are actually people that want to advertise on local sports podcasts. And then because we were able to, it was sort of one of those chicken and the egg things where it's like, how do you get enough podcasts to get sponsors slash how are you going to get sponsors without having the podcast there? And so we were able to start out on the local side of things because as you know, with a lot, like unless you're dealing with very, very hyper local sponsors, it's hard to get any national revenue going from that. And so we figured, okay, if we can get 40 or 50 of them together, maybe we can get some ticketing companies and gambling companies and whoever involved dick pills. Uh, we've, we've all had uh, the, the, the blue shoes of the world that, that sort of were on there back when, but then from there, we started actually getting in contact with real sponsors. And since we had extra budget, we were like, hey, can we go out and like try and sign some other shows here? So then we started working in the action sports world. We signed a couple of national action sports podcasts and like skateboarding and snowboarding. Um, and from there, it sort of then just became this kind of like, I don't want to call it like a, an agency because it's not an agency now. It's sort of like the, the backing of everything is still a media company. And so like ultimately like what we do for a lot of the local sports podcasts though, we're not in there like editing every single one of them. We're still acting more as like a, Hey, let's help like brand around this. Let's help get sponsorship set up on this. Like, and what we're really trying to move into, which is where the studio is going to come in. Like, let's do a lot of live event stuff. Let's get merch on the table because like you have to do a lot of things now to actually monetize a show. Because even if you have a show that's getting four or five, 10,000 listeners a month, it's still hard to monetize that just on ads. You have to do, Hey, Let's do a community meetup. Let's do a tailgate. Let's do whatever. Let's do a charity drive. And then let's sort of layer merch in on top of that. And so it was sort of just trying to figure out ways to kind of get creative outside of how, outside of just, hey, we are signing podcasts and getting sort of ad revenue set up on those shows. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean, because I do this part time now. And really, in terms of like a labor and a passion thing, it's been unbelievable because, you know, I was buddy was with Chase and they have a massive uh, rivals podcast network here mm -hmm. I'm going out to dallas um to work as a uh, grease salesman just peddling used cooking oil you know they were like you know why don't you put your show under our umbrella and it's just changed things admit like the the i've worked i'm now working on the largest audience i've ever had by far it's turned out great but like the one thing that's lacking is the time i have to actually like monetize it like it's not even like a complaining thing like i make great side money i would never quit doing this mm -hmm. but i always have that thought in the back of my mind where i was like i could be doing this this and this but then mm -hmm. i have to take myself back and be like no 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 this is not your full time job man like the fact that you're making yeah. money doing this but if this were what my bills relied on it's a ton of work it's the meetups mm -hmm. and all that it's not just advertising anymore so take me through the transition from armchair to sports drink. Why the rebrand? Take me through what happened to get you where you are today. Yeah. So, in a like we, it, it wasn't all like super cohesive right at the time, but we ultimately realized like armchair was associated with the writing and it was associated with like us being in college because the, the thing that we had really branded was like, we're college kids talking about college yeah. sports from college locations. And so like once 2015 turned into 2018 and we're all 24 as opposed to 21 and in 
all these different cities that aren't college towns, sort of like the meat and potatoes of what we were doing, it kind of subsided. And so we were like, okay, what is a way that we can actually figure out how to monetize this? Moving on to the audio side of things really ended up helping because there were actually dollars being poured. No one wants to advertise banner ads on websites anymore, but you can do person. It is it is deader than dead, but you can do personalized ads on podcasts, and that is still like a very very monetizable medium. And so we figured, okay, we need to get more into the podcasting space. But we had started doing it under the sort of armchair name. We had built up this fifty or sixty show network, and then we were like, most of people know armchair still as like we were the college kids in this blog. And so um, I had a buddy that was working in. Um, he was working for a design firm out of San Fran um, and the pandemic hit and he was basically just like, I'm kind of done. I've worked in sort of like corporate advertising on like Charles Schwab and Sling and sort of just like very, I mean, like an incredibly technically proficient designer. But he was like, I have all these creative ideas. Like I want to get out of the corporate world a little bit. So I was like, you know what? We have a little bit extra money lying around. Like we need sort of a a, a, a like rebrand and a refresh if we want to keep getting some of these ad deals, because like ultimately we're not going to be able to do this just, and this will sort of lead into what we're doing right now is like, we can't just become like an ad agency. Like we have to create stuff that is branded sports drink, or at the time it would have been branded armchair. We have to do our own social series. We have to have our own voice on social media because we've seen tons and tons of companies alongside of us like fail because they weren't able to do those things. And so he sort of gave us this refresh of like sports drink is fun. It's engaging. Like we can sort of um, live in this like online Twitter, Instagram world a little bit easier if we have something that is less just like armchair media, like extremely corporate. And Dak Shepard had that thing called armchair umbrella. And so we were just like, it's probably not worth at this point trying to um, have the second best armchair related podcast network out there. So the refresh and sort of the rebrand happened, um, I would say early in 2021. And we've sort of just been cracking on that. We've sort of branded it a little bit more around New Orleans, since that's where we're based out of and getting a studio space in. But it's still as like, we, we rep basically every podcast that that is on the network we we like stupidly align our allegiance to like so this year we had a huge bit of like we became diehard kansas state fans because k-state was doing well and they're one of our biggest local shows and like Tulane started doing well um and so we sort of started riding behind them and we signed an oregon state podcast this year too and like brought on a whole network of big 12 shows and so there's still like a very very hyper local um, aspect of this, but we want it to be a lot more tied into uh, the audio space. And we sort of just call it internet now. Like, you know, this, like we were saying, you do a podcast here, you do a Twitter spaces here, you do a live Q and a here, you do a mailbag. And so it's like, it is a podcast, but it's sort of just like these brands existing on the internet, wherever. Yeah. You're exactly right in that. I remember we had a conversation one time is like, you were like, well, what do like, you know, we were talking about like, well, what is Barstow in five years when these all got these guys all get to 40 and like they still just kind of pretend like they're younger college kids and like whether that's successful or not successful, like they've that's been done before. So, all you know, all of us say we just all done this full time for the last like 10 years, us pretending like we're still like, you know, frat guys at Georgia or Ole Miss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, I'm not sure how well that would have played. Where it's like, what's it up with this 28 year old asshole still doing keg stands and being like, I'm all in on the reps. I don't think that would have been good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And you foresaw, I mean, you guys played it smart. You you foresaw the media market for what it was. You talk about the writing aspect of it, like the banner ads thing is dead. It's basically gone to now. Hey, if someone really appreciates your writing, they'll subscribe and pay a couple of dollars a month to your yeah, Substack, yeah. your Patreon. I do a Substack for free, and I'm incredibly grateful for the people that subscribe. If, if my bills relied on it, people would be paying five, six bucks a month. So I really mm -hmm. am just the people's hero giving that shit out for free. Um, people can thank me later on that. Free, free you, game. Exactly. You guys first saw kind of where that was going and limited and, and, and kind of pivoted towards that. You just outlined the rebrand of like the sports string aspect of it, but there had to be some sort of investment where someone saw some sort of potential. You're opening up an actual studio who saw that and how did that come about to where like, Oh my God, in addition to being a Hollywood actor, I now run this company that has like a real studio and all that. How did that happen? Yeah, so we actually ended up we ended up talking. This is probably I don't I don't think I can say all of this, but like we were talking to some people at some competitors, and they were sort of just talking about like what it cost their studio to run, all of sort of like the logistics and the cost went through. And I was sitting there like, I think we can like carve out space in our budget to do it. Where it's like we ended up getting a good deal on a studio space. Like we still don't have any backing from anybody. And so this is like, it wasn't really anybody you bought like the studio it, space. Yeah. yeah I mean, we're, okay, we're letting okay. it out. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so we have like a two year lease on it and we had, we have like, we're, we're going to set it up with a bunch of like fancy cameras and tech equipment. We're going to build a stage out and sort of have like a coffee shop in there and stuff. And so like, I have my buddy that's coming in and he's running sort of all of the coffee bar side of things. Um, and then I'm going to be running basically any of like the digital filming as well as like the event space side of stuff. And so from that aspect, we didn't really have anybody. It was always something that we wanted to do. And so over the last year, it was sort of just like, okay, where can we try and earmark funds to end up getting this space? And then this the the price went a little like into our like it, it didn't get signed on um for a while and so it sort of dropped into our price range and we were like we 100 don't know if this is going to work but we would be stupid to not at least try it right now and so um we started the lease the funny part was i i literally picked up the keys dropped off all of the like i had like fucking 30 igloo coolers in my house because we're building a, a backstop or like a like a background for the stage with them dropped the coolers off and then went directly to the airport and flew out here so like when i get back on friday i'm gonna actually be like oh fuck i have to like build this entire thing out like we have to build risers and a coffee bar and shit like that and so like there is i i unfortunately have gone from working two jobs here to having to uh become a an impromptu carpenter when i get back to new orleans so you were in New York for a little bit, though, because Armchair at the time got some sort of financial backing as a podcast network, correct? Tell, take me through yep. the transition from that. You went away from that, like I'm going out on my own. I, we haven't actually talked about this before. That I'm just mostly curious on my own. How did that come about where you're like, ah, I'm going to do this on my own back near my, near my roots in uh, New Orleans? Like what, what made you want to do that? Because when you moved to New York, I was like, oh, hell yeah, Armchair's made it big time. This is amazing. What kind of led you to go back towards this? Yeah, well, so I ended up never actually like fully moving up there. We ended up like I had to go up there a bunch for work because I sold a piece of the company off to um, basically that sales firm in New York. And they were the ones that helped monetize things from the beginning. They, they were the ones that helped us add like all of those local shows and the ones that were able to like actually bring in money to give us some some money to move around and actually hire people. And so I was back and forth up um, up in New York and I was planning on moving up there, but we finally got like this deal. And I think we signed on the deal on March 4th, 2020. And so yeah, like, I've been going, time. 
Yeah. So I had been going back and forth. And so I was planning on moving to New York in June of 2020. And then COVID hit. I was in Baton Rouge for that entire year. And I was like, I don't want to go spend fucking 2400 because because basically what had happened then was there was a big studio up in New York that we were going to be able to produce a bunch of content out of. The sales firm was up there, but then the sales firm went completely remote. And so they were like, we aren't renewing the studio space anymore because we don't need it anymore. And so now we then got into this whole thing where it was like, okay, well, I'm not going to go spend fucking $2,200 a month on New York rent if we are not going to have access to all of these things. And so I ended up going back and forth probably like five or six times in 2019 and 2020, but never ended up making the full-time move, which I think ended up working out well, because if we would have gone up there, I think we would have branded it a lot more nationally. And I think that there could have been benefits and we might've been able to get into sort of the VC side of things. But where we're at now is like, I'm from New Orleans. We built this thing out of the South. It was always like dumb college kids from the South doing this thing. And so I think that this has been able to like allow us to like double down a little bit more on like what we actually do well. So we can produce content locally. We can sort of do local meetups around the Saints and the Pelicans and sort of comedians that want to travel through here, as opposed to trying to have this like, hey, we are this national hub based in New York that every other media company in the world is also based out of like, this is how to figure out like our niche. Yeah, no, that's well said because I kind of on a much smaller degree with the newsletter thing, it kind of took off. We got the rivals thing going and like, I took this new job in Oxford at this private equity firm. And I just, I don't have the time that I did used to, to just have like the daily or the three times a week newsletter. Now it's turned into Mm -hmm. like feature pieces and then stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And now I have like this audience and I'm trying to figure out like, what do I actually need to do with this? And I'm still trying to figure that out. Hopefully at 2023, I'll kind of figure it out where we want to go with it. But I think one of the more admirable, one of the many admirable things you've done is you've always gotten back to your roots. It's like, cause there's, I mean, you know, this and trying to make it in all this, you get to a next point and you're like, all right, we kind of made it. And then you kind of get Mm -hmm. a wall and you're like, all right, well, what is this from there? And there's an opportunity for it all just falter. And you're just like, Ida, you lose interest in it or you just don't put the work into it. And then it just becomes this random conglomerate of whatever yeah. you're not really putting your heart and soul into. Whereas you guys, like you said, pivoted back towards your roots, which I think is really awesome. And so you guys have this studio and all that, which is incredible. Kind of take me through last thing before we get to some Georgia football bullshit about that and get <laughs> out of here. What do you want sports drink to be? Like what, 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 what do you want in a year or two? Like, do you have a clear definition? I know it's always evolving, but like, what do you want this to be in two years? Do you feel like you have a better vision for what this is now that you're now kind of back to your roots? You know, it's audio, it's your own kind of funding to a degree with the leasing of the um, studio and all that. What do you like, what's your vision for what this is and can be? Yeah, I think that like, like there, so there was this article that was written I don't it's I mean, in one of those like she she magazines, the Atlantic or the New Yorker or something like that. But it was like there are no more third places in America. And it was basically saying like there is nowhere else that you can people can kind of hang out that isn't like a late night bar or work, basically like homework or whatever. And so it was like there was like there this need for third spaces again and so when i read that like two years ago i was like that's kind of what i want the goal for this thing to be is like it's kind of like just this nebulous community space while like and and sort of like let's see what the people in the community kind of like want it to be like we we're in connection with a lot of local artists and so it's like okay one night a week, are we going to do like a little art market where people can sell stuff? 
We know a couple of like people who run yoga classes and they have like need for some physical space. So it's like, can we include in the membership? Like there's a yoga night there. It's like, I'm out in LA right now, like staying with a professional comedian and a bunch of his friends are professional comedians. He's come and done shows with us in New Orleans before that have gone well. And so it's like, can we get a comedian in here once a month to do some sort of comedy show? And so it's like, can we do Pelicans watch parties and other things, the saints party and stuff like that. And so like, I am much more drawn to like the event side of things where it's like, I think that an actual community space is something that is um, very, very achievable. And that is something that is a lot easier monetizable than the digital side of things. But then also using that to say like, we also can build out like our, our basis is in digital. So we can now build out a real voice for sports drink because a lot of it it's like we have our own voice on on social media and like like people know who we are who our twitter account and instagram and, and tiktok are and whatnot but it's also like we need to build out like our faces more on youtube like there isn't an anchoring sports drink show there isn't like live stuff that we actually end up doing that is it's all us putting on the 70 shows on the network that we have right now and so being able to use some of the HBO clout, ideally, and then being able to use the actual physical studio space to be like, hey, we are going to build around people like we call people that like we hang out with like people in the sports drink extended universe. And so it's like, who can we get to pull in for dumb bullshit interviews for podcasts for stuff like this that are actually branded 100% behind us and not sort of us acting as like a backstop for all of our different podcasts. Yeah, you're dead on with that too, which is probably why you're onto something with all this too, is is like, it became like, and I have friends that worked at SB Nation and all that, but you had that whole blog sphere for a time. It's like, I, this is how you do it. You put a team site here, you put a team site here, you mm-hmm. put a team site here, you write content, you write content. It's like, well, now that the media market is changing, that doesn't actually work. That's not really how this works. Yep. And like one of the things that I'm so fortunate to like be a part of is like Chase and Neil started this rival site. Um, For full disclosure, I don't know if I'm supposed to say this or not, but like when podcasts and stuff started becoming a thing, Rivals just saw it as kind of free advertising. So it's like, hey, if you want to do a podcast, sure, go ahead. That'll be great exposure for the network. Keep whatever ads, blah, blah, blah. Well, Chase and Neil turned it into, we have all these subscribers. We're going to do shows that they want. We're going to do mm-hmm. stuff that they want to do. And like now this media market went from, you have all this content out here. No one wants to pay for it because you can just read the same thing on a blog to actually people are now narrowing their menu again. It's kind of mirroring yeah. the streaming thing where it's like, actually, I don't want to pay for non-streaming things. I want to pay for four things I like. And that's what yep. I'm going to roll with. So you kind mm-hmm. of are more so than anything else what your audience are. The athletics, the same thing. It's like, we're going to bleed every newspaper out in the country and we're going to hire the most established writers from newspapers, pay them a, a better salary. And that's just it. Well, they got away from that strategy and no disrespect to anybody. But when they started hiring 24 year olds that were in my MLB.com internship class, I'm like, well, how does this work? They don't actually have an audience. Why do you want them to go? Yeah, come? yeah embedded obviously it doesn't make any sense and guess mm-hmm. what they sold out to the new york times for way too high i hope it succeeds just for the sake of the industry and everything else but like they just don't seem to really seem to know what they're doing and so now as you kind of get this media landscape people just want to pay for what they like or people want to mm-hmm. listen to what they like and they're going to gravitate that so you have to kind of morph your content into what people like and i think that's a very smart way to look at it because that's absolutely where this thing's going a couple of rapid fire things before we get to georgia yeah. football and get out of here some armchair history um, one, do you remember that time we almost hired Craig James? Oh my God. Do some, that came up. And yes, the other that is day. the Craig James for those out there listening. This is not a different Craig James. 
No, his agent. I mean, dude, I was, we were juniors in college, juniors in college. And his agent emailed me and he was like, he has a new podcast. Do you want it to sign it? And like, we were so young in college that I don't think we even knew anything outside of like, okay, he's like a college. Like, like I, I think we were too wet behind the ears to even be like, there was some other shit, wasn't there? Like yeah. there was like, 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 obviously. Why is he actually reaching out to us? Like there has to be a reason. That, exactly. We were like, why? Because we are so far down the totem pole at this point. Yes. Why has Craig James reached out to us? And so um, we then started doing some digging. We saw, oh, he and Mike Leach. Yeah. That, that was a whole thing about his kid in the closet. And um, there was uh, the, the thing where he might've killed five hookers in college. And so allegedly. Allegedly, allegedly might have allegedly sorry i think you have to say that now and so uh we did some digging into that and then we decided oh no craig james you're not allowed to even have a podcast on the armchair all americans podcast network that literally 21 year olds run we turned craig james down that's absolutely yes. what happened we will hear nothing mm -hmm. else of the sort how about the, the period of time where uh, I don't know if you need an HR guy for sports drink, but we just went to various group meetings and I haze kids to get their stuff done, despite simultaneously not getting my own stuff done, where I just yell at them on group meetings. I was good at that. If you need like a resident asshole, what name the salary on there? We we had a, uh, it was really funny because we just did like, there was a group of, I want to say like, I mean, it's still that group me that we have, but there was a group of probably like 12 of us all with overlapping skills. No one actually knew what we were doing, but we just decided we were like, everyone's going to take a different role. Here's a money guy. Here's like a podcast guy. Here's an out West guy. Here's an HR guy. And we just, we were like, this, this will definitely work. This, this will works. absolutely, this, this will definitely work. And so we had, uh, we had resident, uh, resident known nice guy, Brian Rippey, um, deciding to, I'm going to be the guy who has to get in everybody's documents so that they can legally write, legally get edited, properly get paid and all of that stuff. It was good. It was so funny looking at the random groupies of the writers we have instead of the editors thing. Cause I'm pretty sure they're like, this guy's a total whack job. Like maybe get your stuff done because I don't know what he's going to say to me, but it's not going to be appropriate. So we, uh, I'm glad we've graduated beyond those dates, but if you need an enforcer, your buddy's here at all times to go at some random folks. Um, <laughs> how about, I, I'm trying to think of the next one. Oh, do you remember that time? This had nothing to do with armchair. You came over for the UGA game in 2016 to say we had a night out would probably be an understatement. It's an 11 AM game. I can't say we slept that much. Uh, yours truly loses the parking pass as we're riding to the stadium. We're going down Highway 6. I'm looking at you. We're about to take the exit on Chucky Mullins to get to where we need to park. And I'm like, uh, I don't have the pass. Um, I don't really know. I don't think I took it to the bar. I don't know where this is going on. You're driving the car. I get out. There's a guy hawking tickets on the side of the road. He's like, I got a parking pass. I was like, here's a couple hundred bucks. As the car's still rolling, I grab it barefoot and we just roll into the stadium. That's got to be an all-time. But I don't think that – but I don't think what I think you need to just like better paint the scene was it was like the guy that was selling the parking pass was off of the highway, like on whatever Major street highway. that was. We we were still in the exit lane on the highway, like in probably 30 cars worth of traffic, like waiting to get off. So we had probably like four or five light cycles that we still had to go through to get this guy and Rippy didn't want anybody in front of us to then go and accidentally get that parking pass because it was really only one guy on the side of the highway. We were one of those tickets. Yeah. And so he sprints like down the like 
it's not an exit ramp, but like through the field between the, the where where you would get off the interstate and get onto uh, the 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 actual off road. Sprints through that field up the other little like like grass ramp. Gets the parking pass from this man for prop. I mean, had to have been minimum two hundred dollars. Sprints back, gets into the car, and we go into the game late. The guy was like stunned. I didn't bartering. Like he was trying to be like, I, I might do one fifty. I'm like, man, just take this wad of cash. Just, I have <laughs> until he take that Tahoe takes a right turn up there to get this. Yep. So maybe just hand me the thing, and that'll be the end of this. Congrats on your you know overvalued parking pass. But uh, your boy here who has not slept, we just got to find a place to park so I won't get fired. Just an absolutely all-timer in event. All right, before I let you go, Georgia football. You're a Georgia football fan. You're a Baton Rouge native. You went to the University of Georgia. You got the nice little mock sweater. I don't even really know what to call that going on there. I don't know. Oh, yeah. The classic logo. So did you grow up an LSU fan, or did you just follow oh, LSU? Yeah. Like, what is it? So you grew up love, like loving LSU, Saban era, um, early – um, Les yep. Miles, where he wins the national title. And then you yep. just have this void. You grew up this, hating the Saban era. You have the Mark Rick Georgia Bulldogs. That was some early great content on the Armchair American site. And now it's all just become full circle. You are now back at the top, top. You grew up loathing the Saban thing. Now it's just Saban light. You guys win the national title last year. What is it actually like being a fan of, of a team and a school that's actually on top of the college football world now versus just taming yourselves to be utterly disappointed despite getting close. So I will say this, even up through, up through last year, the, uh, the last game Georgia played the SEC championship. Now, granted that was, they lose Alabama again for the record. Where? No, no, no. I'm talking about this most recent one. Oh, okay. Yeah, this, yeah, 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 yeah. So this this most recent one was, and now granted, LSU wasn't like the typical West champion. Like you're not going to have many three loss champions that make the, the SEC championship game. But them sitting there, um, I was just like, there's a 0% chance that we lose this game. And like I've never thought that about a big game before. Yeah. Like 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 I was just never ner- like I've seen us lose to South Carolina and Georgia Tech twice and Vandy twice. Like we lost to Vandy twice and Tech twice when I was in college. Like these were teams you you could lose and and it wasn't it was like those were games where we were 15 17 point favorites. And so like I just got to the point where I was like I can't ever assume that Georgia is going to win a game, even if that they are like statistically like overwhelmingly favored. And so this past year, like after, I mean, no, at no point going in after we lost to Bama, I was like, all right, well, we're going to lose to Michigan. It's going to be fucking terrible. We beat, we kill Michigan. And then I go to Indianapolis and I'm like, I mean, like I've, I've never had an experience where like, I like, I didn't want to be inside of my body when I was at that game. I was just like, I want the game to be over. Like, like at, at no point did I actually enjoy the day of or the national championship game just because I was like, more than anything else, I want it to be 11 p.m. And I want to know what has happened because I want to either like be okay with being disappointed or like somehow I don't know how to possibly think about celebrate. Like I wouldn't even allow myself to think that we could have possibly won that game. And then we come into this year and I was like, okay, well, Stetson's back. I would prefer JT Daniels. I was one of those idiot guys, yada, yada, yada. And it really wasn't until like after that or like after the Tennessee game, I was just like, oh, so Kirby has gotten to the point where every guy he has recruited 
the practices are just harder than the games. And if the practices are harder than the games, then you don't have to show a lot of stuff to win, which is why you can go out and you can get up 27 to three on Tennessee or whatever, and then still be struggling against Georgia tech, because it's like, you know, that you are not going. And so that that's how, when you get to play LSU and LSU comes out and they score an opening field goal on the first drive, then you can just be like, okay, well, I guess we got to try now when you score five straight touchdowns in the first half. Like I've never known anything like this. Yeah. And so like, that's the craziest part about it is that national title game last year, that was it. And like for an Ole Miss fan, I guess the, the, the comparable narrative is finally winning the West and just getting to Atlanta. Can you finally get over the hump? Had a decent shot this year, but they just weren't a good enough football team. Whereas like, you fully immersed yourself in the scar tissue of Georgia when you elected to go to Georgia. Like, you know, you got Ole Miss dudes from Georgia that'll still be wearing Stetson Bennett jerseys with the Braves cap at baseball. Yeah, no, 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 no. You were fully immersed in this. So you understand this as well as anyone, uh, even just Georgia people living is like that national title game is it, right? Like if they lose, cause they got down to the late in the third quarter and it's like, man, Alabama's mm-hmm. going to do this to them again without Mechie or mm-hmm. no, Jameson Williams, excuse me. Yep. Where it's like, this is that it was never happening. You were never getting over the hump if you nope, lost that nope. game, right? Like that would have shattered it. There was an inferiority complex that would have never been broken into or conquered ever again had they lost that yeah. game, right? Like that's the accurate feeling of what happened that night. Oh, yeah. There was like, like after that night, I would have been 100% resigned to just like, we're just not better. Like, like it would have been like the most like meekly accepted thing of just like, oh, okay, Alabama's the best team. Like we're their little brother. That's fine. Like not even like you don't get to push back from it. It's like, what what are you going to do? We've lost seven straight times, every single one of them in like the biggest, like, like two national championships, three SEC championships. Like these are all, every single game is like two top five teams and they have won every single time. And so like, thank God for that fourth quarter that Stetson Bennett was able to piece together. Because I mean, that was like, no holds barred I was like that's the best quarter of football I've ever seen from somebody like he three straight touchdown drives after like seeming like he didn't know how to play football for the first half of the game it's unbelievable and like I I had gone to talk college football we got all this and before I keep you all night because you got to go to your big acting career like what is the landscape of this like like what is it like rooting for a team that is now at the top because they are undisputedly at the top he's basically built Alabama light and look I'm not ready to declare the Saban thing dead there'll be another good run in them I think for the challenge again but it's not like oh he's going to dominate this for 12 years like that's what's happening where you are from that is what's happening to your program and your team what is that like like when do you just read criticism of minute stuff with like Kirby and Georgia and you're like you know, get butthole dog 69 off of this message board. What are they talking about? Like how, how much of a gravy train is this? Yeah. I mean, it's just, I mean, I, I have to imagine that it's like that. It's it's like what Saban has been, but it's like Kirby smart is one of the most infallible figures in sports right now. Like he can't, he, he can do no, because he's also like the way that you get here is you are smart about this. Like Kirby and Saban both understand what kids want. They understand what kids' families want. They understand like how to take care of the people that they need to perform well for their organizations and their their programs to do well. And so like you can't you can't end up in a situation as dominant as Kirby or Saban has been in without like the rec- like the prerequisite knowledge of what it has taken to get there. And so like that's where the only reason Kirby I think existed was because he was part of what Saban did so much at Bama. And so now it's just like, 
it's still hard to feel like because this still does feel like the like 08 09 era of Bama right now where it's like if we win this national championship and we come in I, I think this year did prove one thing where it's like, oh, it's not a one and done because like we reloaded and we figured out like the team was different this year. Last year, it was like the most dominant defense of all time with a good offense. This one is like this offense can fucking move. The defense creates more havoc and they get more pressure, but they're not as like technically sound as the team last year. Like they don't have as much help in the secondary. So they need to get home a little bit more and create havoc to give their corners a little bit less time in one-on-one matchups and stuff like that. But there's also like an insane, insane offensive engine that didn't exist last year. Like Kenny McIntosh is crazy outside of the tackles. Like Dijon Edwards is like, like like they have three different. And and this is where my theory is on this entire thing is Georgia doesn't have a good enough running back this year that they are comfortable relying enough on that they feel like that they can just lean on teams There's over no and over again. and all that, right? It's a different exactly. Team. No Gurley, no Chubb, no even 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 Sony Michelle, DeAndre Swift. Like they're, I mean, that's fucking three of the three legit NFL running backs right there. And so I think having this sort of four headed monster of of guys that are all pretty good, but are probably only going to be six or seven hundred like yard per year guys that helps because it makes you involve the tight ends. It makes you actually open the playbook up a little bit more. And I think Munkin is finally comfortable enough being like Stetson knows the playbook. He can get out of the pocket. He can improvise a little bit. And so like, as long as we don't like Stetson still is a little scary when you're like, do whatever you want, make whatever read you want. But when you can narrow that down into like, here's your a read and here's your B read, he can still be like a, a really effective quarterback. So you sit there in the East, you're opposite of Alabama. You've conquered them. Are you guys worried about anybody? Like the Tennessee thing was awesome. It's a cool story this year. I'd like to see how they reload, if at all. I'm actually a huge Billy Napier believer. I think there's a matter of time before he gets that rolling. But like when you have like basically the Saban light in your own division, what is actually getting it rolling mean? Is the Georgia fan worried about anyone or anything? No, not right. I mean, right now, I think it's just like, we are the only thing that can beat us right now. Like I just, I, I just like, it, I don't think that there is any team in college football that should be within a seven point favorite of us. And if no one's within a seven point favorite of you, you just have to play like B plus ball and you will win the national championship. And like, like that's what we're, we're a seven point favorite over Ohio state and would be a larger favorite against Michigan or TCU. And so like, I look at that kind of like, yeah, just don't fuck it up. I, and and I, that's like such an insane position to be in, but it's like, but it's like I would be very disappointed if we didn't win the national championship this year because I do genuinely feel like we are like head and shoulders the best team. But it's like, you know what? I also don't know what fluky shit can happen in a game where Marvin Harrison Jr. is playing. So it's also like I, that is why it's still fun is because I can still tell myself there is a world in which we lose to Ohio State. Like I'm not at the peak Alabama. Like I feel like peak Alabama really hit stride in like 2016 where it was like, it's it's so inevitable. It's like they won in 9, 11, 12, 15, where it's like when you do that, when you win four in seven years and all of the other years you're in the mix and it takes fluke Ole Miss, Bo Wallace, or Chad Kelly losses. Yeah, they got that past two freeze out of the way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Once you have that that shit that you're not dealing with, it's like, oh, yeah, everything else is just like we, we're just inevitable. So last thing before I let you go, the expansion deal. Like – 
So now that you're kind of the blue blood, would you rather have anti-expansion? Because if you are anti-expansion, no. I have to punch you in the face, even though it would take no, a lot very... up there too. I just don't get the anti-expansion guy. I don't Every get it either. Every other level of football has a normal playoff that makes sense with a qualifying mechanism and somehow the second most watched sport in America. It's like, no, four-team invitation, we're good. These other teams don't deserve to be there. That's not really yeah. the point. Like, could I interest you in an Oklahoma State, Michigan in a in a but, quarterfinal? Like, that's not really the point. How does, like, the Georgia fan or you particularly just view the expansion? Because I think it's a long time coming. It's a shame it's gotten – like taking this long to get there, but it just blows my mind that people are like, we don't need to expand. It's like, what are you talking about? Every other level of football has a normal playoff that makes sense, but somehow college football, the four teamer is good to go. Like the whole, like, well, there aren't 12 teams that are worthy of it. Is that the point? The Philadelphia Eagles no. weren't that good last year. Now look at them this year. Like what is like, that doesn't seem to be the point to me. What is your thoughts on expansion? No, I'm, I'm, I I completely agree. Mostly because I'm still like, while I'm like big bravado, cocky Georgia fan, I still recognize you could have eased, like you're always one injury away from going, even at the top, you're one injury away from going 10 and two. And I think it's kind of comforting where like, where the playoff brings me comfort is like, oh, we're head and shoulders, the best team in college football now, which means we're always going to make the playoff. That's fucking awesome. Like, like as a Georgia fan, even going forward, you can't guarantee a Georgia fan that they're going to make the playoff every single year. We're one loss away from Tennessee. We're one fucking bad call in that Tennessee game from like the trajectory of that game going slightly differently. And then Tennessee's inside, we're outside looking in. And so like having that sitting there as like the worst possible season, you are still making the playoff. And the bigger thing too, from just like a being a fan of college football, I personally think it is going to make the other like it's going to make the the BCS bowls matter again. And I say the BCS bowls, but like the major bowls did not matter because the sugar bowl was seen as this bullshit consolation prize that you didn't get for making the sugar bowl. Or Imagine if Ole Miss Baylor counted for something last year. And, and now you're basically going to have okay, you get four home conf or you get four home games in December, which one we've never seen before. That's going to be fucking incredible. And then you get to say, okay, we just won the big some schools. We just won the biggest game in our school history. Let's say Kansas State wins a fucking December twenty first playoff game, and then they get to go play in the Rose Bowl in the fucking. Uh, in the semifinal or in the quarterfinals like that you can't tell me that that's not an incredible season and so no I'm I'm as pro expansion as you could be it makes no sense right everyone's like well uh-huh. you know, well everyone's like go well, to make the regular season not matter it's like well what is the regular season where you lose two games and all your like hopes and dreams for the ultimate goal is done is that actually a good regular season like it just yeah. doesn't make any sense to me like I mean, everyone was like, oh, that Ole Miss A&M last, environment last year was awesome. It's like, well, that gave them the right to play for an exhibition. Imagine if that counted. I yeah. Just, I, I don't get it. So, and where, and, where I th- and where I don't think that they say is like, yeah, but also like where I don't think that they realize it is like, can you imagine rivalry weekend with how many playoff implications yes. there are going to be? If like, like if, if number 11 Ole Miss is playing in the Egg Bowl, that is a fucking playoff play-in game. Like, like those are all incredible. Like where I think that they're like, it makes the regular season not matter. It makes the regular season matter so much more for so many more teams. No, it's, it's, because, because you talk you about injuries like, and all that stuff. No one talks about injuries in college football. You lose a guy for three games. Okay, Georgia runs the table when they get their quarterback back, goes nine and three. All of a sudden, they're having to go play on the road somewhere if you get the whole home advantage thing. It's almost like the NFL has this figured out, right? It was like, oh, the regular season's not going to matter, right? You tell me what NFL game doesn't matter. 
right? But it just gives you room for error, which is fine in sports. And also, even if it ends up fucky, does anyone complain? One of the best, one of the best fucking years in NFL history was the year that Eli Manning beat the fucking eighteen and zero Patriots. Exactly. Is anyone complaining that's a fake title? Like this is so stupid. It's unbelievable. He is Andrew Stevens. He is Hollywood actor. He is the owner founder of Armchair Sports Street. I can't thank you enough for the time. I probably kept you longer than I would have lied, even if I had told you how much how long. But you stopped this time <laughs> on me. We got to do this again do, soon, sometime. Best of luck with Sports Drink. I'll be the biggest fan, and uh, we'll talk to you soon, brother. We'll get you down to New Orleans. It'll be a lot of fun. All right, that is our show. Appreciate Andrew's time. Guy I've known a long time. Good buddy of mine. Really interesting guy. Six eight, as you probably gathered from that. So I imagine us hanging out together actually kind of looks funny because I am not six eight, but uh, just a really fascinating dude who uh, I can't say I'm surprised by that story uh, regarding the Showtime Lakers. But um, yeah, that's just like, he always has something like that going on. So I enjoyed catching up with uh, my buddy there. And uh, we'll be back at it on Wednesday or Thursday. The pod's going to be a little bit off schedule through Christmas because we don't have that normal rotation. And I'm trying to get some different guests and do some different things, but promise plenty of content on this feed coming your way. And I got another, at least one more good guest coming this week that I think you enjoyed. So Buckle up and uh, enjoy it. And uh, thanks for listening. As always, we'll catch you later on this week.